is that constant surrender of, Lord, this came up for me again today. Something that I just experienced triggered me in a way that makes me feel incredibly angry. And I don't want that to lean into that biblical definition of hatred that bitterness is. I don't want it to, to flow into that. So help me take every thought captive. Help me not keep the score. This is your job. Help me to be able to surrender that and help me to be able to do something for myself to honor that space who has made good choices. Good choices. Connect with those people who are healthily holding the mirror, you know, and and not just be like, I'm not gonna think about it. What am I gonna do instead to replace it? Replace that behavior with something when those thoughts arise. How do I remind myself I do have people now? I am doing things that are bringing me into wholeness. Welcome to the Not Ashamed podcast, where we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're here to help you rebuild your theology in light of God's grace, love, and the true meaning of holiness. The topic for this month is what is bitterness? We are joined by Amber Jones, founder of Grace Story Ministries. Amber, it is so good to have you. Um, just an honor, and I'd love to have you introduce yourself to our audience and tell a little bit more about Grace Story Ministries as well. Thanks, Natalie. I appreciate the invite and the chance to have a conversation. Um, we obviously have some, I personally have some um, experience with today's topic, and of course, many within our Grace Story community um, would would feel like they had some experience here as well. So I'm excited to dive into this conversation. Um, Grace Story is a ministry I started in 2019 out of my own story um, and processing journey. We we say we like to address mental health resources and that those topics within the church from a biblical perspective. Um, basically, it came out of my own experience growing up on a Bible college campus with a family who had that part all pulled together. We had that part playing from the outside, good conservative PR family. And um, behind closed doors, though, there was so much dysfunction, um, abuse that was happening in our home. And um, it really impacted how I saw myself how I interacted with others and especially how I saw like with my God narrative and how I saw God and that began to inform um, those those areas that I took into adulthood. So I got married at a ripe old age of 20 um, and um, but I really brought in to marriage um, a lot of that same dysfunction and I was starting that cycle over even though I really did not want to. Um, those survival skills, those ways of communicating, defenses, all of those, I had brought those into marriage. And um, so I started taking a look at how do I do this differently? Where do I start? I don't really know how. Um, and that brought on some a few years of counseling and trauma processing that made me realize our family was not alone in this. And that's really why I started Grace Story there, and I know your community would resonate with this as well, but there, um, there are just some taboo topics in the church. And when we're struggling with an addiction or behavior issue and we don't know how to get help for it, if we're going to try to 
be held accountable within our faith community, but we feel like we're going to be misunderstood or labeled a certain way, or maybe even labeled as unsafe within that community, um, it can make it really hard to ask for help, which then drives that shame, drives that sin, drives that addiction even further. And so Grace Story was really an answer that I thought was going to be um, fully accepted by the church, like, oh, goodness, this is not out there. So grateful for this resource. And many have embraced it and have been grateful. Um, what I didn't realize was there is also that it was also going to be a threat to some church cultures because um, as naive as I would have liked to believe that the church was the answer, and it is, God is the answer, the number one answer for a lot of what we would go to mental health for. Um, it was interesting to me to see there are generations of power and control that are being threatened, stories that have been covered up. And so as things like that began to unravel, um, even though we at Grace Story say we're not whistleblowers, we're, we hold your story sacred because of the work we do. We hear a lot of stories and we hold those confidential. So we're not there to whistleblow. But just I think that, you know, knowledge is power. And so knowing and um, and that just started, that just started kind of down a, a alternate side of where I was like, wow, this is going to, this is going to kind of be something different than what I had imagined at first. But back to the community aspect, it has also been incredibly healing for the people in our community um, to be able to have that place. And I always like to say healthy people create healthy churches and healthy churches elect healthy leaders and healthy leaders create healthy dialogue. And that is where we can really start making some positive change here is um, where we're showing people this is this is a healthy way of communication. This is a healthy way for conflict resolution with a biblical perspective. And as people are begin um, being equipped with that side, then they can, th that healthy kind of model is like, oh, well, then I think something's off where I am. Um, and so they can start being able to be more informed in that way. Thanks so much for sharing. And this episode will actually be coming out before your next event. Um, so tell us about that because we are all about conferences. So what does Grace Story offer in that way? Yeah. So we have two conferences a year. This year we are launching our first men's conference. It's the first weekend of May in the Cincinnati area. And then our women's conference is the first weekend of November. And it was awesome to have you be a part of that last year, Natalie. And um, your Berean groupies coming with you. And that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so we do the same um, kind of emphasis. It We do have worship. It is unashamedly biblical worldview. Um, and what we do is pair those relatable storytellers that, you know, we've we talk about some of these hard things. We've talked about suicide, rape, spouse betrayal, church trauma, anxiety, um, you know, miscarriage, It just some of these things that are brushed under the rug and you are expected to Google how to get help, you know. And so we start that conversation, but not just the relatable story, but we pair that with an instructor session so that you get practical tools that are equipping you right there. And then as you've opened up you're with um, people who are like-minded in that. Um, it's a very diverse group of people as far as church background goes. 
um, everything from Mennonites to sobriety house women who have never been to church at all. Um, you know, and so we've got quite a quite a gamut. And it's really beautiful to see that representation of the body of Christ who is coming together, putting those doctrinal differences aside for a moment and just focusing on um, connecting with a God who some are still scared of um, because of what they've been taught, but who, that intentional worship time and growing together. So the men's conference, first weekend of May, um, so excited, so excited because this is about whole family healing. And so we've had, we're going into our fifth year for women's and this is our first year for men's and we've got some guys coming already signed up and it's just really, really exciting. I would like to tell your listeners, anybody who's interested to come just to throw this on for, um, this isn't an advertised deal, but if you put in the code find hope, all caps, all one word, but that'll save your listeners 30%. Um, and that can be off of men's or women's. So that's just something I use when I speak places. So find hope and come and join us. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. And yes, I really, really did enjoy um, when I went to the Grace Story Ministries, uh, the women's conference uh, last year. I wrote a post about it. And in short, I've just, um, I've become pretty apprehensive around some stricter Christians just because of the way I've been treated, even though I'm very conservative myself. And someone actually told me once, they're like, they, you, you come from people that are stricter than you. You're the strictest Christian I know, (laughs) but, but, um, yeah. So sometimes I, I have some, uh, anxiety around that. And I knew there were going to be a variety of Christians at the grace story conference. And so I was like, okay, let's do this and take a breath. Um, but it was such a refreshing experience. Everyone there was so kind. Um, and there are people who came over the Brian Holiness booth and talked to me. And there were some people who had different views and different perspectives than I do. Um, but they're just like, uh, just explain where you're coming from. I want to listen. And it was like, wow, this is so neat. Someone wants to listen and not just call me bitter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of which. Yeah. <laughs> Segue. <laughs> exactly. So speaking of which, let's get into our episode topic. So the word bitter, I think is in in my um, personal position, this is what I'm probably called more than um, anything else. But I, I wouldn't do an episode, you know, if I was the only one to experience that. Um, but it's because I have so many people, we read so many messages and emails and comments um, to Brian Holiness with people who are struggling with bitterness or struggling um, with being called bitter um, and they're just confused by it. And I've personally seen, and we're going to talk about later in the episode, that real biblical bitterness is an actual threat and something in the sense that it's something we want to avoid um, in our lives, just like we want to avoid other kinds of, we want to avoid, um, you know, being hateful or being harsh. And we're going to get into all that. So, but because we genuinely do want to please the Lord and we don't want to be these bitter, hateful people, um, when so many people are accusing us of bitterness, it, it makes us second guess ourselves. Um, 
like I mentioned on the Cultish podcast, Carl Truman has a quote in The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he, he talks about how we see ourselves through the eyes of others. And I'm paraphrasing here. Um, but it's almost like everybody else is holding up a mirror when they talk about us to us or when we read their comments about us. Um, and we start to see ourselves through the eyes of others. So if we have a large amount of people calling us bitter and hateful and um, these kind of things, it lowers our, it can lower our value and our worth in our own eyes. Um, especially if we don't know why they're calling us that and we don't, so we don't know how to fix it and we just, just kind of feels hopeless. Um, and it's easy to succumb to that and become discouraged and disheartened. Um, and yeah, so we're going to get into that. But before we do, uh, I want to hear a little bit from our other panelists, Andrew and Bethany. So good to have you guys, as always. Um, so am I crazy here? Am I the only person who's ever been called bitter as just a accusation even? Um, not even as, you know, a friend coming, there's a difference between a friend coming to you and say, Hey, I'm worried about this in your life. We do want to do that for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a difference between, um, trying to hold one another accountable and lovingly, uh, just point each other back to Christ. And there's a difference between that and accusations being hurled at us. Um, and I feel like bitterness, unfortunately, is a lot of times in this second category of just being used as a derogatory label, as a almost like name calling sometimes. So I want to know, am I the only one that's experienced this? And we'll start with Andrew. Is is this something you've seen or experienced? Yeah, you are not alone in experiencing that. Um, I think that's just very common. And especially in my personal experience, I, I um, had a lot of folks that warned me early on before uh, a lot of talk emerged about me leaving my particular church and uh, they were always expressing warnings of don't don't become bitter, just be careful. Okay, don't become bitter. Um, and I think it's it's really dangerous to characterize um, certain feelings in condensing it to bitterness. Uh, one, I think you know something we'll probably discuss is uh, bitterness. The way that it's used in that context is very. Uh, it's very vague. It's ambiguous, right? And it's meant to be because it fits whatever narrative the individual using that towards you wants to portray. And uh, oftentimes what they really mean, and in my case, they try to pin this on me, is that, well, bitterness means you're angry and you're operating out of um, spite. You know, you're operating out of malice, right? And those things could be the farthest thing from the truth for some of the reasons that uh, my wife and I decided to leave our, our church. But um, I think people tend to gravitate to the that narrative because it makes it easier for them to accept um, the cognitive dissonance that, well, they're not, they don't share or embrace the same uh, ideologies and theologies that I do, but I don't want to go into the weeds of discovering are parsing out what they mean. So condensing the argument to bitterness in this ambiguous term makes it easy for them to kind of set it aside and say, well, they're just, they've succumbed to this thing, you know. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And so I think I'm actually going to stop here and share something that I was planning originally to, to share later in the episode. But since you said what you said, Andrew, um, before we go to Bethany, 
I, I was talking to my brother Nathan the other day and we were just chatting and we came up <laughs> with something that Nathan calls the brilliant defense of nonsense. Um, and it's basically a loop that uh, I keep running into um, with certain, we'll say hyper-fundamentalists. Um, and we've defined that term in, elsewhere. Hopefully our audience understands what we're meaning here. So basically, it, this brilliant defense of nonsense looks like the first thing I'm going to say, and this is like when Brian Holland started, um, and I'm looking for, I'm hoping for more acceptance of people who have a, a slightly different theology than what I was raised with, because I want to, um, I would love to be seen as a Christian, <laughs> and I would love, you know, the mainstream church to be seen as Christians and not backsliders and compromisers and, and whatnot. So I publish the studies, right? Like, here's, here's where I think um, these theologies could be wrong. Uh, this looks like a more biblical way, but even if you disagree, maybe we can at least agree that there's some gray area here, there's some room for fellowshipping the difference. But anyways, that, those initial studies, and this follows, this could be with anything, the initial studies are responded to, um, can be responded to by a hyper-fundamentalist with, well, you're just being nitpicky and why does that matter and I, I don't understand why that's relevant. So a lot of times I'll see, you know, all these comments about why, why do you care about what the Bible says on makeup? Like, this is the way people choose to live. And like, I just, we don't see the relevance. Just stop talking about this. Um, and so then I'll write another post and I'll share how hypothetically this could do a lot of harm to the body of Christ if we're dividing over these issues and we're disfellowshipping over these issues. Um, and so I'll share why it's harmful. But then the, the second um, response is, well, that's just hypothetical. That's not reality. That doesn't really happen. You just made up that idea that it could happen, but it doesn't. So then um, I'll respond again and I'll say, no, it does happen. It happened to me. And then I tell my story, um, which is powerful. You know, I can tell other people's stories. Um, and usually it's not my place to do that if they've not already been shared publicly. But there's something about when you share your own story that's just powerful because it's like no this happened to me this does happen I was there firsthand witness right here um and then the third response is you're bitter and that discredits everything you say so I don't have to listen to your story mm -hmm. and I don't have to consider your theology right so um yeah and it's, it's hard to know how to respond to that so that's why we're talking about it in this episode so I've seen bitterness used in in this way to discredit you, like I just said, like, okay, well, I don't have to listen to you because you're bitter. So that makes everything you just shared um, somehow moot. Um, or it's used to silence you, like, just be quiet. You're just a bitter blogger. <laughs> There's a whole sermon out there called Bitter Bloggers um, directed towards you, your, yours truly. Um, you see, so you're just bitter. And so it's trying to silence you, to shame you into stop sharing your story. We're not comfortable with it. Um, so, Bethany, is this something that you have experienced as well? Yeah, so when I was a young person, older teenager, I went through an experience at my home church with a youth leader that was not a great situation, and I 
you know, used my voice and I stood up to them and I made some statements and called some things out. And of course, called into the pastor's office over it and everything like that. And I made the choice because of actions that were taken in the confrontation that happened and everything like that to leave that church and go to a different one. And there was a lot of backlash as a very young person. And I was called bitter. And I was told several times that, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So anytime me expressing what had happened or bringing up things that I was genuinely concerned about or saw happening, it was always labeled as, oh, you're just angry and bitter over something that happened. And that process continued throughout a lot of my life. And kind of like you mentioned earlier, when we hear things said about us, we believe what people are saying, especially it it becomes our mirror image of what we see. So I went through a very long period in my life where part of the way I was raised, you know, you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And then the feeling hurts that I felt over this situation that did, did not feel right and things did not go right. I felt like I couldn't vocalize anything that I went through or experienced without being labeled as angry and bitter. So I had a really hard time processing and realizing these feelings that I have are actual valid feelings. And I'm not just being beautiful and hateful. Like I need to process what happened. And that took a very long time to come to terms with. And then now it's all making some different choices and believing a few different things. I, I find myself faced again with that a lot of times when you, you vocalize something that you feel is different or you feel a certain way, or you notice something that's happened that doesn't feel right. I do feel like a lot of times it instantly gets labeled as we, we don't agree with that. So therefore you're wrong. And it's just the bitter label is just slapped on it right away. So I do have several bits of experience with those words and feelings. Yeah. Thank you, Bethany. And of course this isn't a, you know, we're not trying to point towards any church and be like, this church does this bad thing. This is ultimately a, a human problem um, and something about us as yes. individuals not being healthy. And so we're not listening to each other. We're not taking time. We're not, um, you know, showing compassion and love. And so we're just, we're shutting people down as individuals and saying, you're just bitter. But however, it does overlap with hyperfundamentalism because there are churches individual churches and sometimes unfortunately groups of churches where you know it's so much about protecting the church and not about the individual protecting the organization and not about finding healing and hope for individuals um that this has become part of the culture uh tolerated in the culture and even promoted in the culture unfortunately when we have leaders who are doing this from pulpits making you know making this acceptable and an example um and so it it there are some church cultures, unfortunately, that this kind of behavior has uh, saturated. So those of us who decide to transition to what we believe is more uh, healthy um, and whole uh, church cultures, um, the ones that we're leaving that maybe aren't so healthy, where this is a very common uh, issue, we're we're going to face a lot of the same struggles with this. Um, so hopefully that helped clarify some. And Amber, I'm really wondering, what are your thoughts 
uh, as you know, founder of Grace Story Ministries, I know you get so many messages and emails just like we do at Brian. Um, what have you seen with bitterness used to discredit or silence and how that affects people? Yeah, I we definitely have. And I mean, one one thing that came to mind um, while you guys were sharing your particular, um, I don't know, brushes with bitterness is it's okay to be angry. Like, I think that's part of it is um, anger is a big emotion. Um, sometimes we're not sure it's, it can feel like it's uncontrolled or it can feel like we'll not uncontrolled as in you should not have uncontrolled anger, but it can feel like we can't control it if you're on the outside. So what are they going to do with this? And it can feel unpredictable. Um, so anger in itself is not a sinful emotion. It's what you do with it. It's mm -hmm. the same as temptation. I mean, we're all going to be tempted. It's what we do with that temptation. But um, so I just wanted to kind of make that point. But one of the things that came to mind for me with regard to the community I work with and um, is that whether it is a church system, a family system, when we change our role within a system, we ha this is an opportunity for us to give big grace to to like really model um, abundant grace and humility because it goes against our grain, um, especially if we're if that role changes because of, we're leaving or setting boundaries because of hurt. But those people that we've left behind that feel like we've left them behind, they didn't ask for that role change. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that they're going to have to work through is you have just disrupted my comfort. You've disrupted my reality. You've asked me to take a look at what um, I have gone through or what you're saying has happened here. Um, that isn't my experience. And so I just want to shut that out. Right. So if I can make it about you, then I don't have to question my reality. I do not have to question what's happening here. If I can say you're bitter. So that didn't actually happen. Right. Like what you were mentioning, Natalie, if I if I say that that couldn't possibly have happened, that's not who I know him to be. That's not who I know her to be. They would never do that. Um, so this is about you. And so I think sometimes this labeling of you're bitter um, is just a protection of the people who are saying, look, it's easier for me. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go there yet. And in mental health, there's this, you know, every season has what we call like pre-contemplation. You've never thought about it before, right? Like it's just not even on your radar. And then you move to contemplation where it's like right in front of you. You have to consider it. And it goes on up through, and that's something you can look up, but it goes all the way up to as you process through action and ministry to where you're finally ministering out of your pain. And you've gone from, I haven't thought about this before, to now I'm helping other people through this, which is why we're here, right? Because we were hopefully worked that system. But when we change that role in those systems, those family systems, church systems, we're moving people abruptly from pre-contemplation to contemplation, and sometimes they don't want to be there. You know, they didn't ask to be there. And so that's our opportunity to say, okay, I understand that every action that I have has a consequence that I do not make, you know, even if this is a decision that is best for me, best for my spouse, best for our family, it is going to have impact. And that was part of my story is that we had been part of a church 
for 18 years. I mean, we got married. Um, we went to the same church, had a lot of family there. And one day we walked into, into church and um, they, the assistant pastor was teaching on how counseling was wrong. It was not biblical. And I was like, this is my whole career, right? Like, uh, we could have had this conversation um, over Sunday lunch, maybe, you know, another day. Um, and so we tried to work the biblical restoration process of going to your brother. We went to him first. My husband had extensive conversations. And one thing led to another. We ended up getting hate mail from people at the church. It was just, it was just crazy where we were like, wait, these were our friends. These were our people. And I think this is where it goes into in that system, many of us stay and put up with the gaslighting of like, well, this really is your problem. And if you would kind of catch up with the rest of us, we wouldn't have this problem, right? We're really okay over here. It's just you. You know, this just is something that maybe if you can get enough help, we can all get along again. Um, and we even had people, mentors who would say that, like, this will be over by Christmas. If you just don't talk about it anymore, it'll be over by Christmas. And we're like, but they're getting promoted. You know, like these people are now working with youth and they've sent hate mail. Like, that's not okay. Right. Like, that's not who we want teaching our kids. And there just came a point where we said, this isn't about changing your system. You guys are clearly very comfortable here. We love the people. Um, and yet this is not going to be a place where we can grow. This isn't a place where we can thrive. And it's not a place where we can grow our family. And so in order to do that, it's like, we're going to go find another place. So we didn't leave out of bitterness, although we left with great loss, great cost, um, and and grief. We had to work through sorrow. And I think sorrow is messy. And so sometimes we do have to own the parts that maybe we have done messy. And if there are places to apologize and say, you know what, I probably handled that. Maybe I swung that pendulum a little far then we make that right, but we don't. We're able to take that mirror that you talked about and say, "Okay, I, you haven't. You don't have enough trust equity built with me right now for you to hold that mirror for me." And so I'm going to take that mirror and I'm going to build up an intentional safe community um, where I can trust who's holding that mirror for it to be someone who says, "Look, look at who you are. You're made in God's image, and I care so much about who you are." It's a completely different approach. It's a completely different approach. Instead of it being the self-preservation, like, here's your mirror. You are an awful person because I don't want to face anything about myself. It's more saying, this mirror is something that is a gift that I want to give to you. And it may even cost me something to hold that up because at times it will be uncomfortable. But if we do that with trust and safety and with that whole, like, you know, biblical restoration process in mind, that's going to be a completely different mirror. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. <clears throat> Before we go on to our next questions, I want to talk a little bit about the biblical definition of bitterness. So, uh, again, we're we're kind of holding so, uh, some nuance here because there is a bitterness that we don't want to fall into and that is, you know, biblically warned against. But then there are these false accusations of bitterness that are used to silence and discredit us and we don't want to um, be silenced or see ourselves as lower than or, or less than because of these um, mirrors that people are holding up to us 
um, as they try to protect themselves. And actually, on that point, before I go on, I was, again, talking to Nathan the other day, and I was reading some comments on um, recent threads, and I'm just like, Nathan, how? And many people were my personal friends from the past, and I'm just looking at them like, how how are they reaching these conclusions about me? Where Where is this coming from? Um, and Nathan said, you know, he's, he's, he's very practical. His degree is in economics. Um, and he's like, it's, what is their incentive? Do they have incentive to say, yes, Natalie, you made good points. Or do they have incentive to say, you're a terrible person and you're bitter and I always disliked you and I knew this is who you really were. <laughs> like, what, what's their incentive? What, what would it cost them to honestly consider and evaluate what you're saying instead of just dismissing it? And that's a lot of times my problem. I don't mind being disagreed with, but it's it's a little um, hard to, to understand when people just outright dismiss is you're a bad person, especially when it's people you know personally, um, or you have bad motives, or you're just pre- prejudiced or biased, um, so uh, you're not worth listening to. Anyways, so that talk from Nathan about it's all about incentives, what is it going to cost them, um, that that was definitely helpful, and I think that echoed a lot of what you just said, Amber. So thank you for that. So now, um, back to definitions. So I hear from, see a lot of times with Berean, people who are genuinely agonizing over feeling like they're bitter. Like, they feel like, I am a bitter person. I can't stand this about me. This is sinful. Um, and I just want it to stop and I just not want to be bitter and I don't know what to do. And like, there's real agony there. Um, and, and something I noticed when I'm trying to talk to them, okay, what do you mean by bitter? Um, if you just look up and I just pulled up the other day, like I Googled, I think it was defined bitterness, something like that. And this popped up from Oxford languages and the second definition of bitter is, quote, anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. So what I am seeing is a lot of times these people who feel like they are living in sin that they can't help and they can't stop and they're in agony and they just want to be happy and they're not sure how, they are going by this modern definition of bitterness. Um, Like I just said, disappointment at being treated unfairly. And they just want that to stop um, so they feel like they're not bitter anymore. Um, and not in violation of scripture because scripture does warn against bitterness. And so let's look at that Ephesians four and 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So bitterness is something we're supposed to, to put away, but, um, but the, the problem is when we take a biblical word and we try to impose a modern definition on it. So what I want to do is look at what is the Greek for this. And so the Greek for bitterness is Strong's New Testament uh, 4088. Um, and just reading through the definition, it starts with bitter gall, equivalent to extreme wickedness, a bitter root that produces bitter fruit. Uh, metaphorically bitterness that is bitter hatred Um, and and that's about where it stops there so we have extreme wickedness we have bitter hatred 
Um, we have this uh, producing of bitter fruit. And so interestingly enough, another verse that's a lot of times used in conversations about bitterness um, and a lot of times misused and weaponized is Hebrews 12, 15 through 16. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And it goes on. But if you look that up in commentaries, and I actually just recently found this, it talks about that this is actually an allusion to Deuteronomy 29.18. If you just look at Bible Hub or anything, it'll explain all the reasons why they believe it's an allusion to Deuteronomy 29.18. Um, and this is talking about Moses, lest there should be among you any man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Now, I'm just going to quote from Barnes' notes on the Bible. The allusion there is to those who were idolaters and who, instead of bearing the fruits of righteousness and promoting the piety of happiness of the nation, would bear the fruits of idolatry and spread irreligion and sin. And then going down, the reference of the apostle is to some person. So now we're talking about how it's being used in Hebrews. This is referring to some person who should produce a similar effect in the church, to one who would inculcate uh, false doctrines, who should apostatize or who should lead an unholy life and thus be the means of corrupting and destroying others. So this is a reference to idolatry in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the Hebrews context, it's more than likely talking about someone who uh, leaves the faith and then they're pulling others out into sin as well. So super interesting because a lot of times I just hear that verse quoted at me and I'm, I never even understood um, just how much rich context there was there. And we can go, you know, you could study deeper into that in your personal studies. I'd recommend it. Um, but even if we're not looking at this passage in Hebrews, that's likely about idolatry and pulling others into sin. Um, and we're just looking at the the verse in Ephesians 4 that says just put away bitterness. And um, that's still the that's still talking about bitter hatred and the wickedness. Um, and what it's not talking about is our modern definition of bitterness, which is, you know, talking about disappointment and anger. And so it, it, I have such a hard time when I see people who just because they feel negative feelings, they feel like they're sinful and they've just got to shut those feelings up and bottle them up um, and just be happy um, in order to be, avoid sin. And I think that's really personal to me because when I was, this is well over a decade ago, um, so I'm a young person living at home. How can I summarize this best? Um, something really, really awful happened in my personal life. There was a spiritual leader who really let me down um, big time. And it was so hurtful. There was blatant sin. Um, just the way it was dealt with, was responded to by the church was really hurtful. But even in the middle of blatant sin, <laughs> that leader told me, even though that person was the one doing the sinning, told me, you can let the situation make you better or make you bitter. <laughs> and so like I'm getting a, a talk from the person who's putting me in this terrible spot. Um, 
And then it was like any time after that, if I would show any grief, any loss, any, um, and you know, I'm a, a very young person, um, and just like any kind of emotion or even like, I, I don't, I, I can't um, be around you today. I'm, I'm hurting too much and it's hard to see you. Even something like that, I was just slammed from every side with, you are so bitter. You are becoming so bitter. You can be better than this. Why are you bitter? And it's just like, I just needed space, you know? Um, and so looking back at that as an adult, it, it hurts my heart. And it really hurts when I see other people face a similar situation. Um, because I know how that affected me in the long term. And what that meant in the long term is I carried a lot of that uh, grief and it was never processed. It was just bottled up. And so there are days as an adult, like I said, well over a decade later, I'm just going through life and something will trigger me. And I'll remember like all those emotions from when I was a a young person just come flooding back. Um, And then I'm like, wow, where is this coming from? Why is this still here? Oh yeah, I never did process that. I just put on a smile um, and tried to to struggle through it and pretend like I was fine in order to avoid the accusation of being bitter. So Amber, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I'm sure that's something you've seen before and have insight on. Yeah, we become scared of our own emotions. We don't trust ourselves to hold that emotion. Um, and we certainly don't think of it as sacred. Um, to honor that part of ourselves and be able to process through those things. And so as we become scared of ourselves and we think, well, if if this authority figure is telling me that this is bitterness, but to me it feels like sadness, um, then we think, oh, wow, so I'm, I'm not sure I can trust myself to know myself, right? And then if you couple that with spiritual trauma where we're, we're taught, I am God to you, right? Like I heard that um, at one point for my own dad, where I am God to you. I am the voice of God to you, right? Like, cause I've been put in this place for you. And, and you just think, well, okay, so that's, that's what God feels about me too. He thinks I'm bitter. Um, and those developmental years matter so much. And then as we come into, um, you know, a place where we are now as young adults and middle-aged adults, um, you know, these kind of situations that come up again, the reason they hurt can hurt so deeply is because it's a rewounding of those same places where maybe we haven't processed or we have processed and we thought, wow, I thought I gained so much ground here. And, um, and or maybe I haven't looked at that in a long time and I don't know why my reaction is so dramatic for for this like i i know it would feel sad if somebody sends you a really horrible letter but why does it cut so deeply and um one of the things that that my husband and i have found as we've kind of processed out of church trauma or through it i think it'll probably be a continuing journey cuz honestly for us short of losing a child or um, one of us passing, like, this is probably the biggest thing we've ever had to go through together. We lost our identity. We lost our roots. Our name meant something. Our family names, both sides, meant something within our movement. Um, and so just there was a lot of loss there. And it felt like we were untethered. You know, like, our checklist that got us to God didn't get us to heaven anymore, right? Like, everything was up for grabs. And that's not how we felt as far as like living a principled life, but it just felt like 
if that is no longer true, then what is, right? So that that thi- those things that held us to God didn't hold us. And, and then we started seeing those people who had heard us get promoted, like I had mentioned earlier, right? Like, so then that feels like, well, maybe it is us. Maybe, maybe we didn't. And yet, hold to our truth. We look backwards long enough to get the story straight and move forward in restoration. But that last lingering, as some people would say, root of bitterness, right? That last lingering, what we know is now element of grief is if we don't hold this pain, will anybody hold it? Will it just mean that it didn't happen? Will it just mean that it was okay? Because they're getting by with it. And so it feels like, well, one of the righteous things to do is to hold it, right? Like to hold this truth, what really happened. And even if we forgive them, and even if we move on and we set healthy boundaries, it feels like if I don't hold this, nobody will. And as we walk in freedom, as we continue to grow in Christ, we find these ways where God is big and he's beyond the box we lived in and he's good and he's kind and he's full of grace. And yet those old narratives can really make it hard to trust him with that last element of our pain because what God asks is, vengeance is mine. He doesn't ask. He just tells you. He tells us, vengeance is mine and and I will repay. But his timeline is incredibly different than ours because that would have already been done like two years ago, right? That, that would have been fine and nobody would have been promoted and everybody would have known and our integrity would still be intact, right? I would still have my roots and it wouldn't have cost my children and their friends. Like these things can go really, really deep. And yet, If we can, one of the things I'm learning in real time is heaping coals of fire. And I talk about this on our Grace Story podcast in one of, um, I think it's it's been a few months back, but God taught me that heaping coals of fire is not just to burn your opponent, right? Like That's what I wish, like if I give you enough banana bread, you'll see I'm the better person. But what, what it can look like is actually keeping that line of, humility, that line of before God, I see him as my avenger. And um, I do not have to interact with someone who is unsafe, right? Like that's, there's always that place. The boundary has to be set for safety, but it also has to be set with honor and kindness because they were still, they still have value before God as well. And so my interactions with them still have to be as Jesus looked upon the crowds with compassion. That's what my prayer is. My prayer is, Jesus, help me. God, help me to look upon them with compassion as you would. But that's going to have to come in your strength, not mine, because I still want to hold that vengeance. I want to still hold that last element of righteousness, right? And yet I have to surrender that part. And when we're, like what you were saying earlier, like, when we're holding that, it can feel like, well, then that means I'm not forgiving. Well, that means I'm still angry. Well, that means I'm still bitter because I would like retribution. No, that's human. That's human. It's okay. It's what we're, we, that constant surrender. It's not one and done. It's that constant surrender of, Lord, this came up for me again today. Something that I just experienced 
triggered me in a way that makes me feel incredibly angry. And I don't want that to lean into that biblical definition of hatred that bitterness is. I don't want it to to flow into that. So help me take every thought captive. Help me not keep the score. This is your job. Help me to be able to surrender that and help me to be able to do something for myself to honor that space who has made good choices, good choices, connect with those people who are healthily holding the mirror, you know, and and not just be like, I'm not going to think about it. What am I going to do instead to replace it, replace that behavior with something when those thoughts arise? How do I remind myself I do have people now? I am doing things that are bringing me into wholeness, right? I am not locked into the old me that was stuck, the old me that was trapped in that situation. I'm not powerless, but I am called to compassion. So how does that look for me today? Mm. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Andrew, what are what are your thoughts on this take? Yeah, so... I love what you said there because it it, re, it reminded me of how I kind of dug my way out of my initial feelings after leaving uh, a spiritually abusive environment because uh, at first you start analyzing your feelings, right? And you don't really know how to process it at first. You just know you're hurt. Um, if you come out of it intellectually, right, like maybe it's just an ideology you disagreed with and there's confusion, and you wanted clarity, you leave without clarity. And so you deal with these negative emotions and the, um, what the, what your critics want you to do is when they apply that term of bitterness, they want you to suppress those negative feelings, which are important to process, which is why I like what you said, because that's how you dig yourself out of those situations. So if you're dealing with confusion, um, processing that confusion leads you to seeking out answers, right? And that's where the true strength comes out of the, those natural emotions, because if, if you had some issue with um, a doctrinal error or something that was biblically taken out of context and that was never fully addressed, well, finding out and parsing scripture to find out what Bible, the Bible actually does say about it gives you um, that insight that changes you as an individual and that's empowering. And so I find that, um, one, that's, that's the significance of allowing yourself to, in, uh, uh, to experience those feelings, but it's also the danger of allowing people to title you with the ambiguity of bitterness because the, the antithesis to that is if you do suppress those feelings, then what ends up happening, I see in a lot of people, is well, they don't pursue the the, que- the answers to those questions, and like uh, Natalie was sharing earlier, you know, you tend to feel like, well, to be a good Christian, I have to put on a smile and I have to just carry on as if nothing happened to make, keep the peace, and all the while you're suppressing these dangerous emotions that God wants you to address, you know, whether it's actual issues of like real rage, bitterness, anger, and and it leads to those kind of behaviors that follow in that scripture in Ephesians that talk about, um, well, if I'm not going to address the accuracy of, say, like a doctrine that I disagree with, well, then that 
comes out as slander. Well, my weapon of choice then is, is not the truth of scripture, but to slander someone's character. Um, and that's what, that can be the actual danger of bitterness is if you start going into delving into those behaviors. So there's a strength and, um, there's a power I feel when you embrace those feelings in a, in a good, healthy way, um, that leads you into, you know, maybe if it's, if it is genuine, uh, emotional hurt or real trauma, you know, something that terrible must have happened to you. Maybe you don't have the answers and embracing those feelings pushes you to seek out help. Um, so I think we need to allow people to do that and not try to just immediately throw them into that bitterness uh, prison, if you will. Yeah, Bethany, um, what are your thoughts and how, how have you grappled with this, um, you know, looking internally and am I bitter and um, where do I go from here? What's, what's that process been for you? So I personally feel like I really just needed to like sit here and listen today because I have gone through so many times. There was something that happened in my personal life a couple of years ago that just left me wrecked and just devastated. And I couldn't figure out how I would say that I had forgiven the person and like genuinely feel like, okay, I'm moving forward. I've forgiven. I'm, I'm doing right. And something would happen. And all of those feelings would just bubble back up. And I would be like, I am still wrecked by this. And I don't understand why I have no control. And I think that's something that I've always grappled with is I've always attempted to have control over the emotions, over feelings, over trauma or any situation. And I've always grappled with, why do I not have the control? Why do I think that I can handle this? And then all of a sudden, everything is coming back. And I don't want to use the word truth. I feel like it's overused, but things will trigger me. And I'm suddenly back in that moment and back in those feelings. And I'm like, this happened four years ago. This relationship I feel like has been restored, but all of a sudden I'm still angry at you. And I'm still thinking about four years ago and how, how angry I am. And I know we just had dinner last night. Everything's all hunky dory. And so it's been a real process for me to realize that you don't feel an emotion. You cannot heal something that's happened. And sometimes healing takes place in different forms and it's not instantaneous. If you stub your toe or I'm going to tell a story on myself because this is kind of, this is how I learned the story. When I was pregnant with my daughter um we went to a baseball game late at night and I'm like 34 35 weeks pregnant and miserable sitting there just stuffing my face with a bunch of donuts but we get back home and I am in extreme amounts of pain I have the worst headache ever I think I have an ear infection coming on and I'm gonna do all the things and it ends up that I end up calling in five minutes before my work schedule and get rushed to the emergency room because the pain that I had been ignoring in my body was 
preeclampsia and I was having severe problems and my child was in danger and my life in danger because I was ignoring something that God had put in my body to tell me something was going on. And this is how I learned that you have to respond to the emotions that you feel. And I learned it the hard way. I ended up with a NICU and having like severe medical crisis just to learn that if you don't in your body, something bigger is going to happen. You're never going to. And I know it's nice, a nice long story, but it, it is a process. I really just appreciate so much everything that was said because I still feel those feelings, no matter how far I think I've moved on. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for sharing Bethany. And I think that was a good um, example of something medical where you just wanted to ignore the pain and hope it would go away. And in reality, it, it became life-threatening um, and that, and God had given you that pain for a reason. And I think emotional pain um, and more in the spiritual and, and mental realms of this pain is given to us for a reason too. Um, and sometimes we need to slow down and process. I'm going to give a plug here for a podcast episode from Naomi Wright, who is from uh, Be Emboldened Ministries, and their podcast name is Reclamation. But this episode, January 19th, episode 45, The Forgotten Art of Grieving and Why Embracing Grief is a Must. That is powerful. Um, I highly recommend because I, I can't get into it like they did. But I've definitely learned just how important it is to allow ourselves to grieve. And not every negative emotion is a bad. You know, pain, emotional pain is given to us for a reason. We're human. We live in a fallen world. And we need to stop and um, process. So, Amber, um, I know this is something that concept you're familiar with, with the type of ministry that you have promoting health and wholeness. How can we process these negative emotions in a healthy way? What are just some practical tips for, you know, how can we incorporate and not just ignore grief or shut out grief? Because this is huge loss, especially when we're talking about people who have lost, like you said, Amber, you've lost your whole community. You've lost your reputation. You've lost your identity. You've lost your friends. Um, and I mean, it's huge loss. It's, it's huge. And it's not just that, you know, <laughs> I compare it a lot of times to a village. And sometimes I feel like I grew up in a little village and then, you know, they were just wiped out by a plague. And then I come back and it's, it's all gone. But it's, it's almost worse in a sense because if sometimes it feels like, you know, it's not that they I can't have you anymore, but they won't have you. You were uh, rejected and that rejection uh, cuts deep, real deep. Um, so there's a lot of grief and loss here that it's, I think, dangerous to just label bitterness um, wholesale, just label it. Well, that's all bitterness. All that negative emotions are bitterness. And so I'm just going to stuff that down in me. Um, like they say on that pod podcast episode, that grief has a way of coming out sideways. And I think um, Andrew almost touched on that too. If you don't process the right way, uh, sometimes it'll come out the, the wrong way. Um, so Amber, what are some practical tips on how we can process grief in a healthy, wholesome way? Yeah, I think some of us have grown up in these environments, again, not just faith communities, but in our families or, um, you know, that sort of thing, but where we have earned our love, we've 
earned forgiveness even. Um, we've earned affirmation. Um, and while we say we're walking in freedom and new life and we've left those old ways behind, um, sometimes I find that maybe I've just repackaged them. You know, that now I'm just doing it a different way. So maybe I don't label other people because I've learned that that's hurtful and I want to give generous grace, but maybe I use boundaries as an ex as like an, an excuse. And so those become walls instead of actual boundaries. And I'm still just trying to protect myself, right? So um, being honest. So the first life hack I'd throw out there is be honest and be okay with taking honesty in from safe people who have built that trust equity with you. And they may, some of those people are still from my old faith community um, that I value their opinion. I value their walk with God so highly. Um, and so I do, I do value as I make life changes and and um, try to discern the Spirit's voice for, you know, where we're going next and what church we attend. And, you know, some of those things that we had to discover, we'd never had someone model that for us. We didn't know how to do it. And so do those things um, with, with honesty, with openness, with humility. Uh, do look back. So we talk a lot about like, well, you know, don't dwell in the past, right? Just move forward. Look back long enough to get that story straight, to process that grief, um, to hold those stories with with honor and for what they were uh, for you. And nobody gets to tell you what your reality is. Um, I, I know I've said this before in the Grace Story community, but um, your experience is going to be different from other people who were involved. And so be okay with hearing the way that affected them. You don't, you are not responsible for them. You are not responsible for their story any more than making amends for your part in it. But you can hold that, that story for them um, and then let it go. You know, be curious about that, but not responsible for it. So if someone is saying, my family is destroyed because of you. My church is no longer a safe place for me because you have torn everyone apart, right? Like, you, no one person gets to have that much power, um, but that's a fear response that people will hold and say, you know, because it's, it's, it is fear. Um, second, build that safe community. Um, find the people. I know you're having a, your own conference um, that I, I hope people are able to attend and find that community, not as a place where we go as a support group in the sense that we're like, wow, me too. We're all in this pit together, right? Like if, if that's, if that's the community y'all are finding, like your listeners, you know, listeners, if, if that's the community you're finding, um, it's time to keep moving, right? Like this trip out of, out of Egypt has, has lots of stops, lots and lots of things to learn along the way. It's not like we just leave Egypt and enter the promised land. It's still a journey. 
right? It's still a journey. It's still messy. It still comes with hurts. It still comes with trusting people that are going to let us down again. And all of that vulnerability is okay, but you also have to hold those those moments where you're like, you know what? I tried this. Um, maybe this isn't the place to like lock down roots and have loyalty here. It, there's still something to learn and move forward, but find safe community. If you're looking, um, this is another place where Grace Story is here. We have a lot of places. Um, we have the private community group on our Facebook. You can join. That's just easy. We've got conferences. Um, we have our podcast, our Grace Story podcast, that where we walk through some of this with you. And um, so reach out. We have, we're, we're happy to connect you with a counselor if we can find one for you in your area. But work on those boundaries, not walls. Because God meant for you to thrive, and he did not mean for you to leave the hurt just to batten down the hatches in a new place, okay? And then um, third, if if you look at Scripture, know Christ. That's one of the reasons that many of us leave our faith communities, because we don't feel like it's a place where we can grow and thrive, even if we don't have doctrinal differences. There's a lot of loyalty that we have where we're like, well— we chose to come here. And so now we're here. We have to stay here the rest of our life. Look, we don't, I don't, you know, and I know you guys don't either condone church hopping. That is not what this is about. Find a place, plug in and understand the difference between church hurt, just because they didn't choose your favorite book for the women's Bible study. Um, that's church hurt. That's not church trauma, right? Like there's going to be hurts. But if there's something where you know your family's not going to thrive, it's time to move on. It's time to find a place where you can be healthy. Um, but know who God is. And if your God narrative has been one of a vindictive, indifferent, unkind, ungracious, distant God, there's more. There's more to learn about him. And Philippians 3 um, if you read through that that chapter, and just to pull out a few, not that we pull verses out of context, but I just want to just give you some plugs of what is in Philippians chapter 3, but the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Some of these things are almost like the psalmist David saying, you know, like, wow, I've lost so much, and yet I'm gaining, right? It's a both and. I, I hold this grief. I hold the cost and the loss. And yet, can I also hold that God is bringing me into something good? He's opening this box that I would have, you know, I would have stayed in that church system and, and limited my liberties that I walk in now. I would have limited those liberties for the sake of influence for the rest of my life. Happily, um, it wasn't an issue. I would have stayed there. I never wanted to leave. I like those were our fellowship, right? So then when I felt like I was placed outside the city and I, I walked around the city, you know, a few, a few months, like, Hey, can, I mean, can I, can I win my way back in? Can I earn that? You know, can, can I say the right thing? Can, surely if I say the right thing, may, maybe I can get back in. And then you start realizing, wait, maybe I don't want back in the city. <laughs> right? Like I love the people in the city. I'm not judging the people in the city. I'm not holding them with contempt, not holding them with bitterness. But God has placed, God has allowed me 
to be placed outside the city. He has allowed this into my life. So what is he doing here? And what I have found is as I have processed through my grief, I hold that grief and I realize with hope what he is opening because I'm willing to allow him to redeem that part of my story, those things that he never intended. Um, and yet, once they 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 did push me into a place where now I have a bigger, um, like a broader, not bigger, but broader influence, I have more people that I can touch because I'm looking past my own box into a world that is really big, a body of Christ that is really big. And um, and I'm just still doing the same thing. I just am doing that in a way that is, okay, I'm doing this here, you know? So God has something for you. And even though something you have endured has been incredibly painful, he does redeem all things, even if he didn't and um, like purpose for that. He will redeem that part of your story. Yes, thank you so much for those words of hope. Um, <clears throat> it's really encouraging to me as well, um, because I don't, you know, I don't want to do what I did uh, when I was a child. I don't want to just bottle up all the feelings, but I do want to um, hold space, as some would say, and take time and grieve losses. Um, you know, even sometimes, um, sometimes I find that it's easier. There, there are people who. Uh, when my differences about our theological tertiary doctrines were out, there were people that are just like, nope, we don't want to ever see you again. And that was very hurtful at the time. Um, but it was also, <laughs> it was almost helpful to me because I'm like, okay, they're being irrational. I can tell that, you know, I tell that story, you know, to a mainstream Christian. They're just like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, and I know it's not me. And so like, I feel some sanity there. But then there are people that are just like, okay, um, well, we'll always be here for you. And then, you know, things, the relationship still, the dynamic changes. Um, and now it's like three going on four years later. And it's still like that friendship is not there. People we used to be so close to people, some shared, you know, in our lives for decades. And it's just like, it, you know, is this me? Did I do something? What have I done wrong? Um, it's easy to blame yourself. And you're, you're grappling with that. And honestly, um, you know, and I'm trying to figure out, like, did they cut me off or is it just a coincidence that it just forget to reach out for four years? <laughs> like, like what? Am I the person? Have I not reached out enough? Um, and or did I say something? You know, you're just like second guessing yourself. And I've seen this happen to a lot of people Um, this this struggle. And it's just like there comes a point when you have to realize, no, even though those people didn't cold turkey just cut me off Um, just by their actions over the last three and four years, I have to face the fact that I've lost them too. And instead of just trying to push through life and push that out of my mind um, and just trying to forget, uh, I need to make space and grieve um, the losses of those friendships as well. Because otherwise it just, you know, it'll hit me out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and and, I, and if ahead. it's okay to insert just, there, there's seasons for friendships as well. And as we make like we've said, this is such an incredible transition, right? Like we feel like we've lost so much. Um, there's not as much in common. And so some of those friendships that were like some of those that for me, they were our best friends. They were the people we did road trips with. Our friends, our kids were best friends. They were the ones that came to our birthday parties, right? And 
we don't really have a lot in common anymore. And so some of those is just that slow goodbye um, that is okay because that get, that frees up space then, like you said, to grieve, to grieve that. But it frees up space then to to look at the new community that we're building and say, okay, who do I have similarities with now that I can accept into this space that would understand this this road I've traveled um, and maybe are are more suited to to be friends in this season that I'm in. Um, so sometimes it's not necessarily that those people are even bad people. I have some friends in that community, even from the church that I left, that if I saw them at the grocery store, I would still be able to, we live in a small town, so you would say hi. Um, but, you know, to be able to say, okay, um, I can still, I can still honor you as a person, but just understand that we're in different places now. Um, so we're just moving from that place and, and filling those spaces with new friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do want to say, like, I'm not, um, assigning any kind of malicious motives, uh, to the people who have just, you know, stopped reaching out. Um, so I don't mean that. I don't mean they're bad people, but sometimes I've noticed there is, uh, just baked into the church culture, uh, understanding that if someone leaves, we're not friends anymore and it's not malicious and it's not the individual, but it's the holistic culture of we're friends with the people in our group. And if they're outside of our group, which means they attend another denomination, we that friendship is over. And I think in, in the broad scheme, I, and I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you, um, but in the, the broad broader picture, I think it's really sad that sometimes we have cultures, church cultures, that are, are so restrictive to, it's just the common understanding, if you go to another church, we can't be friends. Um, so I find that very sad as well, because I've been to several other churches uh, since, uh, leaving the the community that we've been talking about, um, and I find that I can go to you know a Nine Marks Church and a Calvary Chapel Church, and then move to a non denominational church or a Bible church, and like those friends from the other churches, you know, they don't see me as you're outside the group. We can't be friends. Um, so I I would love to see a healthier culture develop where we 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 see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ first and foremost and we see ourselves as equals in Christ first and foremost and we see that as Christianity um being our common denominator more so than the denomination was our common denominator um if if you have any thoughts back I'll I'll let you say that before we get to our closing thoughts Amber uh- I would just say on that, um, definitely agree. I was I was chuckling because I was thinking, and actually there are the people that do have malicious intent and feel <laughs> a little smug that they got you out. So, I mean, it's not all just roses. There, you know, I mean, self-righteousness really is a thing. Um, there really does need Christ's blood to cover that as a sin. Um, and also... Uh, so not only do you have pride, but you also have the protection of the community, right? So some of what we're talking about here is, okay, as if, as long as we can keep this, um, this particular culture, this system um, safe and under control, as long as we can kind of, that person is an outlier. Um, so there is there is definitely an element of that where it's like, well, they were an outlier. They've moved on now. We're all okay. Let's all rally around. We're doing better now, right? Like, 
the problem has moved on. So now we're safe. Um, and so as long, you know, as long as they can keep that being the message in those kinds of circumstances where it's like, wow, that, you know, thank the Lord they have, you know, I, we really hope that they find um, the peace they're looking for. We hope they come back to the light. Um, there's a, there's a particular arrogance that is involved in some of this. It's like, well, you know, if they had the light, they would have stayed, but they don't. And so now we're, we're okay though. You know, nothing's going to mess with our status quo. So there's definitely a place for that. Like I definitely want to give space for that as well. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Um, so Bethany and Andrew, I'm, I definitely want to hear from you all again and actually Andrew I'll just go ahead and see what your thoughts are just what we've been talking about right here um and then I have a little bit more to share before we get to closing thoughts sure so I I just wanted to add something at least from my personal experience I think that kind of encompasses everything that Amber and, and yourself had been sharing just a moment ago um I I feel like um parsing through those feelings and uh, lead, leading you to healthier behaviors, right? Learning more about doctrinal differences and learning about scripture and seeking out counseling if needed for traumatic stuff, uh, experiences in your life, um, and the spiritual, uh, healthier spiritual environments, right? What that leads to is eventually isolating the negative uh, emotions that are projected towards you by the people that are that uh, criticize you of bitterness. And it gives you an opportunity to model the opposite of that. And I think that was something my wife and I discussed when we had first left was initially we wanted to, to kind of um, embrace the negative feelings. Like we wanted to be angry. We wanted to be bitter, like in the, in the sense of the, the negative description that you shared earlier. Um, but what God started revealing to us as we started experiencing more healthy community is people were modeling grace and love and just gen- generosity and kindness. And it was so overwhelming. I remember one of the first services that we went to another church, it was so uh, nerve-wracking because there is expectations set up by our church that if you leave, you'll never experience anything like this anywhere else. Um, and I remember they they sung a worship song, and it was just a simple, um, you know, in us exploring different churches, we didn't really know what to expect, and it was just one guy with the guitar. And I can't even remember the lyrics entirely, but it was just about the amazing and overwhelming grace and mercy and love of God and how much we don't deserve it. And I remember I looked like a fool just because I started bawling my eyes out in this small little church. And my wife was just like grasping my hand. And I had realized how devoid of that I I had been robbed of and that God didn't want that. He, He pushed very much so for me to experience that in another environment. And from that point forward, I realized to those who are projecting those negative emotions to me, this is now the opportunity to model it back, the the positive emotions. And so when people are slandering, when people are, are raging in the comments and they're trying to, you know, take down your character and invent lies about you. Um, I mean, I, I think, 
obviously there there is a place to set boundaries and to not allow uh, injustices to go, you know, unpunished. So I wouldn't advocate that. But like in places where people just genuinely don't understand, you know, they're protecting that uh, comfortable place that they've always known. Like you were saying, Amber, that like pre uh, conceptual period of their life before you presented that idea to them. And you're like, well, you're interrupting this uh, comfort that I built for myself. Uh, and they're operating out of that. Well, now that's an opportunity that God has given me in that situation to express grace to them, to allow them to parse through those feelings themselves. And in the end, we, we, we hope, which is the hard part, is the natural part of me, the carnal part, is like, oh, I hope they just kind of, that they never figure it out. I hope they just like, it just, it, all kinds of terrible things happen in that environment. And then you realize, you know what? I hope that they come to the knowledge of, of God's grace more deeply. Um, and that it leads them to a similar place to where I've arrived. Um, and so I'm not saying I'm I'm perfect in by, by expressing these things. It's just that um, these are things I recognize that and in, in, I, I had not learned and not developed where I had come from. And now I want to develop into those healthy and biblical Christian um, uh, behaviors. And then the last point is just leading into what Amber had said earlier. It's just sometimes naturally as you leave those kind of emotions and those feelings of, of you also leave people that don't share those same sentiments. And so it's naturally you start shedding off friends that can't understand where you're going. Um, but you hope that someday that they come and they meet you there too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for <clears throat> sharing that. And when you're talking about, I, I love how you're talking um, about as we, process the grief and we work through that we give that to God and we don't ignore it or bottle it but we process it in a healthy way um in order to avoid becoming you know the biblical sense of bitter and hateful um then we become healthier people and we're able to better understand and see what's being projected onto us that's not um that's not reality so I really appreciate that so <clears throat> I want to before we close, mention a little bit about, okay, well, when we are on our journey of health and we do see these accusations towards us that are very hurtful, how do we process that? Um, and for me, something that's helped is to try to figure out why, why is this being said? I know, I know we're not always going to get all the answers, but sometimes if I can just, if I just see one out of, you know, 57 commenters say why they think I'm bitter, I can be like, Okay, so that's their definition of bitter, and I know that's not the biblical definition of bitter, um, and so it's not it's not me. It's it's their lens that they're looking through, and I can have grace for that. Um, I I saw a comment the other day. I don't think I'll read it word for word, but basically someone had said, "Wow, that you know that Natalie girl, she is so bitter," and had a friend um, that responded in my defense. They're like, "No, I think she's actually just." you know, trying to uh, help people become more biblical and, and more healthy. Um, and so my friend said something nice. And then the other commenter came back with, well, this is why I know she's bitter. And I was like, 
I try to stay out of the comment section um, for my mental health, but but I I, I did want to see that, and it actually helped a lot because the lady basically said that she read posts on Brian Holiness, and she knows there's bitterness there because that I share my story about how I was um, asked to leave Holiness, and and that I will mention churches and mention uh, preachers. And that, unfortunately, shows bitterness, is the verbatim part. Um, and, and then she said something else about how whenever I'm teaching a point, it's always rooted in my context about something someone said or a service I experienced. Um, and then I just stopped to think about that. Like, how many authors, writers, bloggers um, share stories and examples when they're making a point? So if that's what this lady sees as bitterness, even though I protect privacy and I'm ambiguous um, and anonymous when I share stories and I want to protect people, um, even if they didn't quite handle things right and never apologized. Um, and so for that lady to say that that's why she knew I was bitter, because I share examples and personal observations, I was like, OK, well, I know that's not what bitterness is. Um, so she has just... Uh, an incorrect understanding of bitterness and I don't have to internalize um, what she said about me and that personally helped me to process but I know that's not um, we don't always get to know why people are saying we're bitter um, so Amber do you have any other thoughts about processing um, these kind of accusations and uh, labels especially when they're towards our story when we're trying to share our personal story from a respectful place from a place of healing when I share my story you know I share what God's done for me and where he's brought me to and how grateful I am for it um, and how I understand grace now and still um, sometimes that's dubbed bitter and it just makes me want to shut down and stop sharing my story and I know that's a lot of other uh, listeners experience as well so if you have any any thoughts on how can we better process those accusations yeah, I get asked a lot about how is the right way to share my story um, and respect other people, um, that sort of thing. Uh, we, I couldn't help but think while you were talking, Natalie, yes, we are known by our fruits. We are told that in scripture, but only God knows our intentions, mm. right? So when any of those kind of accusations speak directly to our intentions, we can understand that that is information about the other person, and we can hold that with curiosity. We can hold that, um, but we do not have to own it, right? Because that's not ours to own. That's not information about us because people can't give that to us. People cannot give us information about ourselves. That's between us and God. Um, but it is information about them, and we can be like, wow, this must have really touched close to something for them. Um, there must be fear here. There must be a need for control here, right? That's all information about them that we can be with curious. I would not go down that route very trying to figure them out because you probably never will. Yeah. But um, but only God knows our intentions. And so in some of these areas where I have found some of those labels being directed my way and um, and then I think, you know, in the quietness of my mind and my prayers, especially in the middle of the night, um, where things always seem bigger um, and wrestling through the tension of how can people think this? I started this ministry to help people, right? I, I started this um, with an intention of, of living out grace. And yet 
it's being so twisted in the way it's being projected back at me. And for a long time, I really did take those things on. And I thought, wow, okay, so how do I change that? Well, how do I change that? How do I address that? And again, working for um, explaining to people, this is what we're about. That's not what we're about. Like, if you only understood, maybe if you came to conference, right? We have a conference for that. Um, like, maybe if you came, you'd understand what we're doing. Um, maybe you'd understand our heart is not for for what you're saying. Um, and what that did, and, you know, I'm pretty vulnerable about my own journey. If you find me over at my Instagram, my grace story, I, I tend to be pretty upfront about what I work through. Um, and a year ago, I worked through a nervous breakdown around this stuff. I called it burnout for a long time, but I realized it's not really burnout around my work. This is a this is a burnout of my nervous system that has tried to keep up with um, holding that church trauma, working through that, working through all of the loss, and then also still running a nonprofit and the responsibility that comes with with that. But what I've learned over the last year, as God has brought me through that rebuilding of who I am, is that I have to have a solid foundation in whose I am before I can really rest in um, and and learn about my identity as who I am, mm -hmm. right? If my value is not rested on the firm foundation, like there's so many hymns that we could reference here, the solid rock, the firm foundation, right? But it's true. If the pegs that I hang my identity on do not start firmly rooted in who God is and how he sees me, then I am going to be untethered and I'm going to be convincible. And that's not where our confidence come from. Um, so that's one of the things that I would maybe encourage those who are going through um, what we've been through, church trauma, family trauma, and especially other leaders who are pioneering areas where and having conversations and bringing up things that are pushing back against and threatening the status quo, whatever system it is. Um, be brave. Walk in confidence, but walk also in compassion because there is a place for those are not those are not um, in war with one another. Confidence and compassion are okay. And I've been labeled the disruptor. Um, and at first that really bothered me because I was like, I don't, you know, I don't hold animosity towards people. That's not what this is about. And then I realized, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. If what I'm disrupting is the Pharisees, if, if I'm disrupting the systems that aren't working, if I'm disrupting the people who are protecting the perpetrators and allowing the victims to live in silent shame, then I will hold that title because I am resting that identity on a rock that is so much bigger than an institution. And therefore, I can hold up my own mirror, and that is that of Jesus Christ, and say, okay, I am growing into that reflection. My reflection has to be that of him who died for me. And if I am living out the simplicity of the gospel, then there isn't a space for that bitterness to grow. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. 
Um, and now as we close, uh, Bethany, what are your thoughts on this? Um, not not allowing people to label us or put us into a box, but finding our identity in Christ and just processing all this in a healthy way or, or just any thoughts you have or, over this whole conversation. I have many thoughts, but I think my number one thought is just simply put is gratitude. I'm, I'm grateful for this conversation to be involved in it. If for no other way, because a lot of these things are things that I, as a human need to hear, I need to be reminded. I need to continually be processing, um, as an adult now, something I value probably more than, than most things is authenticity, like having authentic conversations and being able to be vulnerable and genuine with other people and having those feelings returned from another human where we can, you know, kind of disassemble the little wall that we set up that the way I grew up, I was always trying to present a very certain image and finding my identity within that up image. So it was always projecting the best that I could, not showing any shortcomings or anything, you know, that, that wasn't, my life is great. It's going good. I have it all under control. I have my emotions intact. So when I can sit with another human and be open and raw and have those feelings reciprocated back and say, this hurt, I, I'm not, I'm angry and I'm hurting, but I'm not, I'm not bitter. I'm not, I'm processing the feelings that I feel and I'm open to working through them instead of just repressing them or shoving them aside it's it's not an easy process it's something that we all individually have to work through and have to grow through which it's not easy and that's why for me I'm grateful to sit here and I I know Amber you have spoken so much into my life just like in this tiny little segment but it's such a beautiful thing when we can break down our walls and when we can feel our emotions, when we can understand that just because we feel something or we've experienced something that doesn't match up with another human, it doesn't automatically make us wrong for feeling those emotions. It doesn't automatically make us angry and bitter. We want to tear everything down just because we're questioning if what we really went through really was as hurtful as we feel inside. So my eyes and my ears and my heart are really open. And above all, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for sharing. And then, yeah, another point that I was thinking as you were talking, um, this actually I think reflects something Andrew had said before is when I'm searching my heart for have I become hateful, harsh, uh, wicked, um, that biblical definition of bitter, when I'm evaluating myself, one thing I want to ask is the people who I am accused of having animosity towards, do I still wish for their best? Um, Because loving someone doesn't always mean, you know, having warm, fuzzy feelings, especially if they've been an abuser in your life. Um, but just not, just, can I hope the best for them? And the best might be repentance. The best in some situations might be prison. Um, the best might be, you know, God arresting their heart and showing them their sin. Um, but am I, am I able to want what is best for them? Because 
that is what love is in the self-sacrificial way. It's being committed to someone else's best interest. It's not always warm feelings. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely helped me to check my heart and just make sure that I, I haven't become that bitter, hateful person, but that I am still reflect, re- reflecting the love of Christ, even if that makes someone else uncomfortable. Because maybe my idea of loving someone, I think really this is <clears throat> this is where some of my tenacity uh, comes from, because I do love the people in these systems. Um, and I see them being hurt. I see them being lied to. I see spiritual abuse being perpetuated. Um, I see harmful theology. I see them not understanding who God is. I see them living in fear and shame. And because I love them, I want to help everyone who is um, who is in that difficult season of transition. I want to point them to Christ. I want to um, provide resources as a as a you know the Brian organization that can bolster their faith and point them towards Christ. And and I'm not just trying to you know destroy an organization. But I want to do everything I can to love the individuals. Um, and love means their their best interest. And sometimes my my way of loving people um ends up in with, you know, me being hated. But that's okay. And I'm learning to process that and realizing that um these relationships can't be the mutual give and take like they they used to be and many people I'll never be close to again but if in the big picture and in the long run um I can point people back to biblical theology grace-filled theology a grace-filled gospel uh, and proclaim the gospel of Christ and just help a few even if it's not the ones who I you know love in in this very personal way but to just to just help a few understand who God is and have a better understanding of grace that and find wholeness and healing in Christ, um, that would be worth it all. So, with that, uh, Andrew, any closing thoughts? Um, I I, uh, I was thinking while you were speaking about that that I think that's one of the things that I as a biggest takeaway for. Everything that's been said today and what I'm trying to implement in my own life, leaving, um, you know, toxic environments and trying to understand um, bitterness, right? And um, part of that has brought me to a new place that uh, we had this term that my wife and I came up with and um, we're expecting it now. Before we didn't, we wanted to leave and just kind of care for ourselves. You know, we're just going to nurse our hurts and move on and, and, and do our own thing. Um, and then you almost kind of want at first, we'll just let them kind of stew in where, with their toxicity. Um, but we're anticipating now as we study scripture more that um, people will start to see, at least we hope, those to- toxic behaviors, and do we want to be ones that put up obstacles to them? Like Amber was saying earlier, do we put up walls instead of boundaries? And so that when they come out, the term that we were talking uh, that my wife and I created the the refugees coming out of these um, toxic environments. At first, we're like, we don't want to be friendly. We don't want to. I, I hope that they don't come out and they just can just stew in it. 
But now God has brought me to a new place that, you know what, as I study scripture and as I learn more and learn to be more accurate in uh, learning the scripture and learning God's love and his grace, will I be ready to accept those quote unquote refugees as they come out? Um, And that's brought me to a new place in my walk with God because it's hurtful. Like you were saying, Natalie, like uh, it doesn't give you warm, fuzzy feelings to express love that way to people, especially your abuser, the narcissist in your life that it seems hopeless that they'll actually ever change. Well, I hope that they do. And and like you said, Natalie, sometimes that looks at like the best, hoping the best for them and praying the best for them is hoping that someday they do come to a place of repentance, even if it's not in front of me, but like in a genuine place between them and God. Um, And for those who have violated like actual criminal things and seeing them come to justice and recognizing that they actually need to embrace that. Um, that, that's still a form of love to not just let them slip by, uh, but not to also allow that to push us into, into bad places mentally, um, and, and to violate scripture ourselves. So. Thank you so much. And so in conclusion for our listeners, um, if you are struggling with hurt, disappointment, um, that's okay. And, and grieve and take time to grieve, make space to grieve, um, and don't feel guilty for it. Don't feel sinful for it. Don't try to cover it, um, but embrace grief. Like I mentioned, the episode from Naomi Wright on embracing grief, highly recommend. Uh, It's so important um, for finding healing. We have to face and address the pain and the wounds um, and not just ignore them. So don't feel guilty for for doing that, for working through those feelings. Um, And we pray that you all come to a place where you know in your heart, and maybe you're still grieving, but you do know that you're not hateful and you're not that biblical um, type of bitterness that we we need to avoid and and put off. Um, And that you know that you do love those who have hurt you. And so when they project bitterness and when they use bitterness as a label, Um, and they weaponize it. Maybe they weaponize the verse in Hebrews to try to silence you, to try to um, get you to not share your testimony or not share your studies um, or use it to discredit you, that that is not something you internalize, but something you say, okay, and and like Amber, like you said, and I I don't think I can quote you back perfectly, but uh, just you don't have enough trust equity to hold up a mirror for me. And so then we go and look at our healthy friendships and our Christian, godly, Christ-like friendships and let those people speak into our lives instead. Mm. Um, I love the verse. It's And so it's not only okay to grieve. Um, it's not only okay to weep, but we want a community that can weep with us. Uh, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Healthy community shows compassion and sits with you and then helps you to move forward and find hope and healing in Christ. And with that, Amber, if you could just share your closing thoughts and after that you can pray and that will conclude this episode. Yeah. Um, I, I think that if we can remember and the listener who has listened through this conversation and it's brought up um, maybe some of those things that they had band-aided over um, and um, maybe some of those emotions that we've talked about, those big emotions that they feel more comfortable not feeling. 
Right. Um, for for you who are listening today, I would just encourage you to um, maybe not start by feeling those alone and uh, to do that in in community, um, to find someone who will will sit with you in that unjudging that just is not going to try to fix it. Um, and you maybe communicate that at the beginning. Just, I don't need you to fix this. I just heard this great podcast on bitterness. And um, I just really am needing to verbally work through a few things and see where I land on the other side. Um, communicate that. And if you need to do that with a licensed counselor, I know uh, we've had people in our community that say, I really do need to pay for a friend, right? Because I don't have people who will sit with me unjudging. Um, and that's okay too. So it's okay to go to a place that's going to um, work through that with you. So if it's a licensed professional counselor, do that. And we can hook you up with that through Grace Story. That's why we're here. Andrew, your um, your analogy, your word on refugee, it connected. Um, my husband and I have used that so many times um, because that's the word, I think, as we felt like we were placed outside the city. It was like, wow, you know, we did feel like those refugees. And um, maybe I'd encourage the listener to consider moving to where we have found ourselves. And so instead of the refugee, it's like the Red Cross. And so, again, that neutrality of, look, I'm going to hold that space for you to, to, to be in your own space, to, to work through what you have to, to hold, move from pre-contemplation to contemplation, right? All the things. But as for me and my house, we're here to offer resources. We're here to be here for conversation when you're ready. We're here to make amends as I need to and to, and to set boundaries as I need to, right? So that humility of being able to just say, I've got resources for you, but I'm also going to work through that for myself. Um, so maybe my, my closing word to the listener that has listened through this kind of conversation um, is right along with what you were saying, Natalie, work through the grief. It's real. Don't try to stuff that. Um, that's just kind of a recap of what we've already said, but it truly is important because it will come out sideways if you suppress. It's like a beach ball. This is one of my counselor's favorite things. When you push a beach ball under the water, eventually it's going to pop up somewhere. And so um, suppressing is never the answer, even though that's some in some of our, in some of the ways that we've grown up. That's what we've been taught to do. If you suppress it, it's not there. Well, that's its own form of a lie, right? So that's never going to work. Um, but let's just say a word of prayer as we close this out. And thank you again um, to each of you guys for the opportunity to come on to share Grace Story um, with your own community and the work you're doing. Um, and yeah, and to learn from each other because that's what real edification is. Um, and so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to examine truth for what it is and um, and to maybe maybe hold up those new mirrors as we discussed an opportunity to say what what have I been allowing what have I been allowing into my life to inform who I am and how I see myself, how I see you um, and yet how can I, take that captive? How can I take that truth back? 
um, to you and and hold that up for you to examine, for you to to inform. And I just pray over the listeners today, those who are working through some stories that have come up in their own minds where they wish they could have put their two cents into this conversation because it's been relatable to them. Lord, would you would you just sit with them? Would you make it safe for them to be able to bring that hurt back to you and to see you as the big God who holds their pain, who is big enough to enact vengeance on our behalf, but that we would trust you for what your justice looks like and that we would forgive big, that we'd give abundant grace because that's what we would hope for ourselves. Lord, and would we also trust you for that justice because there are times where it is needed and I just pray that you would um, that you would bring that up- upon the people that need it, that we would see your hand at work, that we would see your hand of healing working through faith communities and family systems to restore people to yourself and your church to yourself. We love you, Father. We're thankful for the ways we're walking in freedom. We're thankful for the ways you're growing us into yourself. And as we close out this conversation today, we just ask that you would go before um, and and that you would, the people that are going to hear this and, and listen to it in real time, that, that you would prepare their hearts to be able to hear the truth and, and that this would be a salve to them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode. Please consider following, subscribing, and leaving a five-star review. The Not Ashamed podcast is brought to you by Berean Holiness. We'll see you next month with another episode. But until then, check out the Berean Holiness website and social media for more content. May God richly bless you on your journey of rebuilding faith and discovering the gospel of grace.